Constance. And I'm Lucinda. And together in our Kids Law podcast, we're going to take a look at how laws affect children as we grow up. So what are we going to look at in this episode, Alma Constance? Well, I know that MPs vote to create new laws in Parliament. And I would like to know who gives the government legal advice about the laws it wants to introduce, how they are written and then put into operation. When we have an election, the political parties create a list of policies called a manifesto and say to the voters, if you vote for us, we will make the laws to achieve these things. As we know, the party who gets the most votes forms a government and they then can create or change laws to put their policies into practice. The civil service is the name given to the body of state employees who support the government in carrying out the practical and administrative work of government. Let's speak to Susanna McGibbon, who is the Treasury Solicitor. She is the government's most senior legal official in the civil service and permanent secretary of the government legal department, which provides the full range of legal services to government departments and other public bodies. Hello, Susanna. Thank you so much for joining us on our Kids Law podcast today. We are very pleased to have you here. Please, can you tell us why you are called the Treasury Solicitor? and explain the role of the government legal department. Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Alma Constance, for inviting me onto your podcast. So my full title is actually, I have three titles, Treasury Solicitor, His Majesty's Procurator General, and Permanent Secretary of the Government Legal Department. The role of Treasury Solicitor is pretty historical, actually, and dates back to at least the 17th century. And it has treasury in its title because back then the treasury was the only government department supporting the prime minister. And in fact, you may know that the prime minister is also called the first lord of the treasury. I'm still based in Westminster, but the role that I have is now very different to that of the 17th century treasury solicitors. Uh, And of course, they were all men. I lead the government legal department which is a department of nearly 3,000 people, many of whom are barristers and solicitors. But it's quite funny that I don't just work for the Treasury. And in fact, neither am I a solicitor because I qualified as a barrister many years ago. So the government legal department provides most government departments with that legal advice that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. The majority of the people in my department are lawyers and they advise government on a range of issues that are of importance to governments on a day-to-day basis and to all of us as citizens. So we've got three of four areas of law that we work on. We have litigation teams that defend the government in court cases day in, day out. And in doing that job, we are the biggest single user of the Supreme Court. And I know you've had some Supreme Court judges on this podcast before. Our departmental advisory teams are the ones who advise on the development of government plans and the legislation and the laws that they need to put them into practice. And then we have employment law teams advising on civil servants and their employment rights. And our commercial teams help the government buy a whole range of things from uh, IT, computers, through to COVID-19 vaccines, and they are responsible for doing the contracts and negotiating the deals that government needs to do. 
In our previous episode, we have heard about how important it is for the rule of law to be upheld by everyone, including those in power. How does it work in practice? Can you give us an example where it's made a difference to government policy? Yes, absolutely. Um, GLD's purpose is to help the government govern well within the rule of law. So that's our everyday bread and butter. And we do it by making sure that the government has the best, most expert legal advice to support the decisions that it makes. Now, you wouldn't expect me to share specific legal advice, I know, but I can give you a flavour of how it works in practice. A key element of the rule of law is equality before the law, ensuring that the impact of new law made by government is fair and not arbitrary. A good example would be the laws that were introduced to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic. You'll remember that they involved an unprecedented restriction on the daily lives of citizens. So lawyers in my teams, as well as other civil servants, worked hard to analyse the impact of the restrictions that were being suggested on different people across society, aiming to ensure that no one was unfairly affected. And when we were doing that work, it was happening at such a fast pace because the the new information about the disease was coming out so quickly. It wasn't always possible to identify every single impact as the laws were being introduced. So as soon as a new impact was spotted, the law would be changed again in order to achieve that fairness and that no one was subject to unequal treatment, unless, of course, there was a good reason for it and it could be justified. So that's the rule of law working in practice on something that you know affected all of us in this country. Since becoming Treasury Solicitor, have there been any issues that involve children and their rights? I was appointed two years ago on International Women's Day, as it happens. I always like to remind people of that. And two years ago, COVID pandemic loomed large and I was closely involved in advising on the establishment of the public inquiry that is looking into the government's response on the pandemic. I was involved in early meetings with the chair, Baroness Heather Hallett, a former judge. And more specifically, In relation to children's rights, just recently, Parliament passed the Marriage and Civil Partnerships Minimum Age Act. And this has increased the legal age for marriage and civil partnerships in England and Wales to the age of 18. Previously, 16 and 17-year-olds could get married with parental consent. This is a really important new piece of legislation which is helpful in protecting young adults from forced marriages. Lawyers in my GLD team in the Ministry of Justice were closely involved in advising on the development of that policy and working with specialist drafters to produce the legislation. And although it's not quite about children's rights, I can't resist telling you that some of our lawyers are currently helping with the preparations for the King's coronation, and that's very exciting. I know there are different ages that apply for children and young people that affect their rights and responsibilities. Who decides these ages? Yes, good question. So 
The age limits and restrictions that apply, particularly by law, generally arise from a concern either to protect the rights of children or to protect others from children doing things that they're not perhaps quite ready to do yet. So, for example, the age limit applying to driving cars doesn't only protect children from harming themselves, it plays a role in keeping the roads safe for everyone. So who makes those decisions? Well, as with other policy decisions, uh, interest groups may raise concerns that become a matter of public debate, and government decides whether or not to respond. For example, in respect of the legislation I just mentioned, addressing forced marriages. Of course, it's sometimes difficult to judge just where the age limit should be set. And in recent years, you might remember, the voting age has been a matter of debate. But ultimately, the decision will be a matter for the politicians who are elected to make decisions on behalf of people in the country. They are the ones with the power to change the legislation. Do you ask children for their views about new laws or changes to laws? And if so, how do you do this? Okay, so that wouldn't be the role of government lawyers to do a consultation with children. We act on the instruction of the politicians who've decided to change the law. However, those politicians will listen to the debates taking place in neighbourhoods, in their constituencies and in the press. And as part of their constituency activity, they'll often be visiting schools and listening to a range of views. So there are lots of informal ways in which the politicians will listen to the views of children when they are thinking about their policies. And then sometimes there are formal ways of seeking the input of children and young people. With initiatives such as the Youth Parliament, which encourages young people to engage in political debate about topics of particular concern to them. I know the online safety bill is going through Westminster Parliament in England and that one of its aims is to protect children online. How has the government legal department been involved in developing this law? Yes, this is a really important bill that's been a long time coming. It will provide frameworks for the operation of the internet and regulate better the online services that we all access. Uh, GLD lawyers in the Department for Culture, Media and Sport have been advising on the issues for many years and the policy has developed over that time, trying to find the right balance between protections and, of course, freedoms. Once the policy has been decided by the politicians, the GLD lawyers will instruct the specialist drafters in what's known as the Parliamentary Council's Office to draft the bill that will ultimately go to Parliament. When the bill is being discussed in Parliament, GLD lawyers will be there providing advice to the minister who is arguing the case for the bill and explaining what the legislation is trying to achieve. And then when other politicians in Parliament want to change the draft legislation, our lawyers will advise on the implications of that change and whether it works legally or not.
A lot of our previous interviewees have talked about the importance of wider representation in the legal justice system. How do you ensure that the government legal department reflects everyone in the UK? Yes, this is something I feel very strongly about. I'm only the second woman to hold this post, and I'm proud to be that. But I also hope it's going to get much better in future. And in fact, we are one of the best legal organisations for women to succeed in. 60% of our senior civil servants, so that's the management category, are women. And for many, many years, we've encouraged flexible working and a range of work patterns, which has enabled women to juggle careers and families. But it's not just women, it's about people from all aspects of society. I want and have made it a priority that people from all backgrounds are welcome in GLD and feel able to meet their full potential. And we have successfully developed an organisation where people can succeed from a range of backgrounds, both people from all over the country, from different social backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, and those with disabilities. In order to help this and to encourage it, we have a wide range of networks to ensure people have support in dealing whatever issues they bring, whether they're parents or carers or from a particular ethnic background. And I think that the difference that diversity makes is that it enables us to access the widest range of talent, which then results in an improved legal service to government. Having a more diverse range of legal input enhances the quality of the legal advice that we can give because yeah. we've got we can bring more perspectives to bear. Can you tell us what your typical workday looks like? What do you do? I bet everybody tells you there's no such thing as a typical working day. I spend a lot of time in meetings, I'll be honest, with my senior team making decisions about the running of GLD. I'm sometimes called in at short notice to advise the cabinet secretary who is the most senior civil servant, often on something tricky and sensitive. Just this afternoon, I went to see the Attorney General in her rooms in Parliament. And also, there's an awful lot to read, and most of it is really interesting. My favourite bit of the week is reading the reports that all my teams send me to tell me what's going on in their area. It reminds me that it's such a privilege to be involved in such unique work and also how brilliant the teams are in delivering it. And then I like to get out and about, championing the work of the government legal department and government lawyers who are so often invisible. So thanks for letting me do that on your podcast. Well, I have a question that I ask all of our guests. What were you like at 10 and what did you imagine you would go on to be as an adult? Well, what was I like? Um, well, I used to talk too much in class and would get into trouble for that. Um, I also enjoyed playing sport and just generally being outside. Even at 10, we could be quite independent back then. And in fact, I went to secondary school when I was 10 you know, and could walk there quite happily on my own a couple of miles up the road. And what else was I like? I was probably a bit of an organiser. I liked being with lots of friends and I may also have been a bit bossy, I guess. Now, I'm not sure I had much ambition when I was when I was 10, that early, but I loved reading and writing 
And I suppose I thought I'd end up working in an office, but there were no lawyers in my family. My parents hadn't been to university. So at age 10, I was still finding my way, I think. And it wasn't until I was 15 that I got interested in law. And that's what started me on this path. Well, thank you so much, Sidella, for coming on our podcast and telling us about your work and the government legal department. Do you have any advice for children who want to understand more about the issues you've discussed today? Sure. As I said, the work of government lawyers is often hidden. We're doing much more promotional work in schools and have colleagues who are happy to come to schools to talk about our work. So do look out for those opportunities. And I would just say it really helps to have an interest in politics to enjoy this job. So watch the news, do debates at school and always try to see both sides of an argument because that's what gives you the makings of a really good lawyer. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's lovely to meet you both and um, really enjoyable to have a go at this. Well, Alma, what do you think about what Susanna told us? Well, she thinks that it's very important to have equality in laws and that one of the ways this can be achieved is having a diverse group of people who consider all potential impacts of new laws and bring their perspectives into use. She says that minimum ages are set by MPs and part of their role is to find out the views and opinions of children by visiting schools and groups. Finally, at the age of 10, Susanna was quite sporty, chatty and really enjoyed reading. She was around 15 years old when she got interested in law and decided she wanted to work in politics. Susanna says that schools can invite government lawyers to come and talk to them and that there is also a youth parliament that young people can join. We'll put a link in the show notes. In our podcast, we've been exploring how laws work and affect young people. All these things help children understand their rights and responsibilities so that they can make informed decisions not only about their lives, but also about voting for MPs who make the laws and understand how the legal justice system works. It's also important that children know that they should be kept safe and that adults must care for them. Remember, if you have any worries, talk to an adult you trust and tell them how you feel. This includes your teachers at school who are there to look after you too, so tell them that you need to talk to them. Keep your questions coming in. Please subscribe, rate and share the podcast with your friends. See you soon in the next episode. Bye. Bye.